The date is Thursday the 31st of August. I'm Jason England and welcome to Learn Something, the official podcast of NewRisingMedia.com where I consume your brain space with weird and wonderful facts that you've probably never heard before. Now, on today's long, long overdue episode, I let you all know what the hell I've been up to over the last week and I've just thrown together some strange facts that I've found that's happened over the last week and some strange historical ones as well. Um, doesn't really have a theme today, I've just kind of whipped this all together really quick and I'll explain why in the next segment. Stick around, this is going to be a fun one. So first of all, just a quick update on what I've been up to, where I've been. Obviously there hasn't been an episode of this show over the last week or so. Um, it stopped, well, stopped quite a while ago. Um, I think about a week and a half ago was when I did the last episode. Um, and the main reason behind that is I went on holiday. Um, it was quite a last minute one, but I went out to Cornwall, which is down on the southwest part of Britain. And it's one of the most beautiful areas of the country, speaking personally. Um, I stopped in Newquay, I went camping with my girlfriend. It was pretty awesome. Um, obviously I missed the Boardmasters Surfing Festival, but that was to the merit of going there actually, because it was a lot quieter and it was just really nice to go to. After that, I went to a Cornish hideout near Tintagel called Cudver which is actually named after the Cornish word for hideout. And it was, if you've been checking out my Instagram lately, um, if you haven't, go on to at Mr. Jason England on Instagram and take a look at the pictures. You'll see what I stayed in, which was a, it's basically a giant wooden tent on stilts. And it was on the side of a huge slate mine. And it was, it was jaw dropping to stay in really. It was a weird experience, but it was incredible nonetheless, because you had a huge, amazing view out over the side of it. It was a fantastic rural area, very wild, and it was great to kind of get away from everything. So that's what I've done. I hope you've all had an amazing summer holiday as well, um, as temperatures have certainly dropped today on my walk to work um, I, f I felt the breeze a lot more I wore a jacket to work for the first time it's quite clear that summer is now over so let's get back into it and this episode I've got some weird film facts some weird video game facts some weird tech facts and some general nerdy based knowledge so let's drop some stuff on you so let's kick off with Star Wars, more specifically the prequel trilogy. Now, as you all probably know by now, I'd kind of seriously question your nerd credentials if you didn't. Mace Windu was, was played by Samuel L. Jackson. Now, he wasn't the original person who George Lucas had in mind for the role. Do you know who it was? Well, it turns out it was famous rapper Tupac Shakur, who he wanted to start in episode one. Now, I know that, first of all, a lot of you are going to be quite surprised at that <laughs> and assume that I'm just chatting a load of bull crap. But, turns out, 
that it makes a lot of sense when you think about it. He was already at the height of his career and very popular in the early to mid 90s when George Lucas was planning all of this. And by then, he was acting in quite a few movies, including Gridlocked, Juice and Bullet. Now, we can all jump on the hate the prequel bandwagon, but we need to be honest with ourselves when it comes to the specific trilogy. While it did bring some of the greatest CGI and a really star-studded cast, there was, thankfully, the choice to bring the badass Pulp Fiction star to be the Jedi Master. But, obviously, before he could play his most iconic role, he would have to wait behind Tupac, and according to Death Row Records former chief engineer Rick Clifford, rapper-actor Tupac Shakur actually did a script reading with George Lucas to play the part. Quote-unquote, it's sad because Pac found out that I worked with Brian Austin Green, who was on 90210. Then he found out I was in some movies, so he always talked about his film career and stuff. He was telling me that he was supposed to read for George Lucas. They wanted him to be a Jedi. Samuel L. got Tupac's part. He called me Old Man. He said, Old Man, keep your fingers crossed. I got three movies coming up. One of them I got to read for George Lucas. So, while I'm pretty satisfied that they got Samuel L. Jackson to play Mace Windu, you've just got to kind of ask yourself that question, what if? Next up, Metro Goldwyn Mayer, otherwise known as MGM Pictures. Um, obviously, the classic lion trademark behind it that you usually see roaring at the beginning of films was created in 1916, but did you know that they used multiple lions throughout the years for the opening logo that we know as it is today? In 1924, they used the first lion called Slats. He didn't actually roar, preferring to people watch. After that, the lion gave an audible roar on July 31st, 1928 for the debut of the film White Shadows in the South Seas. The roar was heard via a gramophone record because the movie was silent. After that, um, Jackie the Lion, who roared in that film in 1928, appeared in more than 100 films between 1928 and 1956. Coffee was also one of the two lines that was used for the two-strip Technicolor test logos. So when things moved to colour, they used Coffee instead of Slap, instead of Jackie. After this, MGM began producing full three-strip Technicolor films and used Tanner for all films between 1934 and 1956. The sixth line, introduced in 1956, was officially named George. And the seventh lion, who was MGM's longest lived, having appeared on the most MGM films since 1957, was called Leo. He was also the youngest of all the lions. And finally, in 1965, to update the imagery, MGM recruited Lippincrott to create a, create a more contemporary logo, which appeared between 1960 and 1968 and shortly after this following user feedback Leo the lion was reinstated shortly afterwards but with a refined version of the logo that is used across everywhere up until this very day and it turns out that Leo back in 1958 was directed by Alfred Hitchcock yep 
I'm not joking. <laughs> that is one brave, brave man. And finally, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Terminator 2. Probably one of my favourite films ever directed by James Cameron. So, we talk about specifically the bar scene right at the beginning where he gets transported back in time and walks through into the bar and asks for the infamous boots, clothes and motorcycle. And the way that they filmed it was pretty... (laughs) It's actually quite funny. Um, So, obviously he didn't walk in there butt naked. That is to say for sure. Um, What he wore instead was the most outrageous purple board shorts with classic 90s multicolored design on them. This was to create stunned reactions from all the bar patrons who were supposed to be keeping a straight face who all looked down and this created the impression on screen that his character was well endowed so basically he wanted to communicate that the Terminator had a huge slong. And now we move on to technology and more specifically we start with the iPhone. So as you know Apple launched the first iPhone in 2007 but this wasn't actually the first iPhone. It turns out that Linksys created something called the iPhone which was a line of internet appliances which was first launched in 1998. Essentially, this was just a telephone with internet capabilities, a TFT color display, maybe sometimes a rollout um, quota keyboard if you're feeling frisky and you want to do some proper internet browsing on there. But yeah, it turns out that the iPhone wasn't actually the first iPhone. Of course, there was a trademark dispute which was settled by between Apple and Cisco, who's the creator of the Linksys iPhone, on February 20th, 2007, which settled that both companies will be allowed to use the name iPhone in exchange for, quote, unquote, exploring interoperability between Apple's products and Cisco's services and other unspecified terms. Now, how many of these actually got used? Well, it turns out that None of them really did, unfortunately. So it turns out that Cisco and Linksys really got shafted on this one. And we carry on down this Apple-laden road with Apple's warranty. Now, any kind of customer experience of Apple, from my personal experience, has always been quite a positive one. They've been very responsive. They've managed to help solve stuff quickly and efficiently. But it turns out that if you smoke, it's not just bad for your health, as a couple of Apple computer owners found out recently that smoking within the general vicinity of an Apple computer results in Apple voiding your warranty. In two separate incidents, a couple of readers from The Consumerist found out the hard way that their warranties were voided due to smoking when their systems were taken in for repair seems that some of the Apple repair personnel take the dangers of secondhand smoke very seriously and consider computer systems exposed to the stuff as contaminated equipment. Quote unquote, from somebody who had this experience, 
I took my mid-2007 Apple MacBook into the Jordan Creek Apple Store in West Des Moines, Iowa, Iowa, if I can say that properly, on Saturday, April 25th, because I had been experiencing some issues with it overheating and figured out the fan was bad. After some initial testing, they took the computer in for work under my Apple Care plan, which was over a year remaining on it. Today, on April 28th, 2008, the Apple store called and informed me that due to the computer having been used in the, in the house where there was smoking, that it had voided the warranty and they refused to work on the machine due to health risks of secondhand smoke. Not only is this faulty science attributing non-smoking residue to secondhand smoke, on Chad's part, nowhere in new Apple Care Terms of Services can I find anything mentioning being used in a smoking environment voids the warranty. Guess the lesson to be learned here is that if you're looking for another reason to quit smoking, Keeping your Apple warranty valid is as good as any. Otherwise, you could find yourself in the same position as this guy here. And finally, the Sega Genesis, or the Sega Mega Drive to my British and European folk out there. It turns out that Brazil has a really odd obsession with this console, as it still sells about 150,000 units per year to this day. And that number is comparable to the amount of PlayStation 4 consoles sold in the country every year. This is an astounding figure when you take into account the console is more than 25 years old. Even past the console's heyday, nostalgia-fueled game sales, gamer memories of the Master System or the Genesis in Brazil rival those of the Nintendo Entertainment System in the US. And because Sega eventually got out the market for building new consoles, Tech Toy essentially built a new Master System and Mega Drive on its own. And rather than giving up on the system, the company adapted its approach and continually updated the versions of the device and even continued producing new games to this very day. I'm not joking. They've made new consoles for the market and they've made new games and the rebirth of low-cost, high-quality retro consoles is a trend that actually started here and has grown to the US and to the UK as you've seen about the SNES Classic Edition coming out soon. This to me is crazy. And in this final segment I'm just going to drop some nerdy knowledge on you and hopefully you haven't heard of it before. Chances are you may have if you're as geeky as me but let's have a go. Let's see what you think. Today I learned quite a while ago that J.J. Abrams has actually got the rights and is currently producing Portal and Half-Life movies. While there has been no mention except for an interview between IGN and Abrams where he said that they're in development, they've got writers and we're working on both these stories but there's nothing that could be an exciting update. It turns out that in a catch-up after that it's still happening. This is um, two films that have kind of floated around development hell, but we're starting to see more and more concrete evidence that they are close, closer than you may think. So expect them in, I'd say, the next two to three years. Obviously, they stopped a little bit while they were making 10, while well, J.J. Abrams' production company, Bad Robot, was making 10 Cloverfield Lane. But... In a recent Reddit AMA with Gabe Newell from Valve, he simply answered to the question of whether they were being made, yep, they're coming. 
While it may not be the most enthusiastic or informative answer, it does confirm that projects are still in the work at, works at least. So, like I said, I'm gonna bet, I'm gonna bet two years, then we'll start to see news about it. Next up, the X-Men. Do they, do they qualify as humans or mutants? Who knows, but Marvel does. Today I'll learn that to save taxes, Marvel successfully argued in court that the X-Men and mutants in general did not qualify as human, directly contradicting one of the main themes in the comic itself. Now, obviously they're not real people and they're not real mutants either. Basically what this means is Marvel were able to specifically differentiate between a doll and a toy. A doll is a figure which represents a human and any company which imports a doll to the US is charged a 12% tax. A toy is essentially a figurine that can represent anything non-human and any company that imports a toy is charged at 6.8% tax. That is why Marvel were quick to go through court and successfully argue that the X-Men were not human and the mutants in the X-Men series were not human. So they were managed to ship their figurines and their merchandise as toys and not dolls. Of course, the whole storyline of X-Men is these humans becoming mutants and this whole divisiveness between the two species and how they should essentially be one and the same. So this kind of flips a middle finger in the face of Stan Lee's vision, but it also makes him a ton of money. So I know what side he probably fends for right now. <laughs> and finally, Jim Carrey's The Mask was originally a comic book. Chances are you already knew that, but the part you didn't know is that there was actually a DC crossover where the Joker wears the mask. The way that Batman defeats him is by telling him the mask made him less funny. <laughs> so in this story, the Joker inadvertently gets his hands on the magical mask after it is found in the Gotham City Museum. With its power, the Joker begins to feel rejuvenated and continues his career as a criminal, taking over Gotham TV and broadcasting his own shows. Lieutenant Kellaway finds a way into Gotham and helps Batman and Commissioner Gordon to defeat this newly superpowered Joker. And Batman determining that the mask is not having its usual psychological effect on the wearer, as Joker always expressed his innermost desires, with the mask merely making him unstoppable. Of course, as said above, Batman was able to trick the Joker into removing the mask by claiming the villain is no longer funny and is relying on tied shtick and the power of the mask instead of using his own style, prompting the Joker's original head to emerge from his shoulders and actually converse with the mask head before he takes it off. Lieutenant Galloway asks Batman to give him the mask. Batman agrees that the mask is last seen as Kellaway digs up Stanley Ipkiss's grave and buries the mask there with his corpse. This was a four-issue crossover series published jointly by DC Comics and Dark Horse Comics and it appeared between May and August 2000 and I recommend you give it a read. 
And that's it for my share of the nerdy knowledge and weird and wonderful facts. I hope you enjoyed it. Now it's time for me to ask you a question. Do you have any weird or wonderful facts that could surprise me? Obviously, we're all listeners of not just this show, we're all readers of the Today I Learn subreddit. We all probably listen to podcasts similar to this. And that means I also love weird trivia as much as you guys do. I love that feeling of surprise. Now, what I want you to do is if you're listening to this on podcasts, is download the Anchor app and find me on there. You can find me by tapping the search magnifying glass when you open the app in the bottom left. And you'll find me under the Learn Something category, also called Learn Something, as I said at the top of the show. Um, When you tap on that, don't forget to favourite the show so that you keep up to date with everything that we're doing. And tap the call in button. And when you're on there, put the phone up to your ear or use the microphone on your headphones. That's how I do most of this show. And tell me, share your weird facts with me and try and surprise me as much as you can. I will broadcast every single one of them that I get to my thousands of listeners and you could win a copy of Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy on PlayStation 4. Yes, that's right. I'm going to put something on the line this time. Surprise me, fascinate me, inspire me and you could win. Good luck. All that's left to say is thank you so much for listening. Um, Do go along and follow New Rising Media. Um, You can check out the latest vlogs on newrisingmedia.com. I will be updating it soon. I know it's been a while. Uh, You can also find me on Facebook at New Rising Media. Uh, Find find us on Twitter at New Rising underscore media. And you can also find me on Instagram at Mr. Jason England. And you can see all of the awesome stuff I got up to on my holiday over the last week. And... All that's left now to say is thank you. Uh, And I will probably see you tomorrow for a quick episode. It's got to be a quick one, though, because we've got Macmillan Fest coming up on Saturday, and I've just got a bit of preparation and planning to do for that. And we'll regular programming will commence from next Monday. So take care, guys. Talk to you later. Bye.